I think the word shidduch crisis is a disservice to the community. If we're trying to be productive, we want to help people be less anxious. The anxiousness makes people jump into situations that they really don't have time to really think about and untangle. So I really do think if we're trying to reduce the anxiety, we have to change the vernacular. Hi, I'm Ripke Silver. And I'm Alex Fletcher. And this is Normal From Women, the podcast where we embrace the complexities, nuances, and joys of from womanhood. Normal From Women is supported by the Grove Kosher Market. We're sure that you've heard the buzz around town about Cleveland's fantastic new store. The Grove Kosher Experience has arrived. Come in and be wowed by each department from sushi, bakery, grab-and-go, grocery, frozen food, dairy, and a full meat section with butchers on premises. No more running around to numerous places. This is your one-stop shopping experience. And don't forget to sign up for a VIP card so you don't miss out on any of the latest sales. Rifki, we've both been there. We've been there multiple times in less than the one-week opening, and we love it. Absolutely. (laughs) Welcome, everybody, to the episode. And a special shout-out to our new listeners. We must talk about this. Normal for my men, Baruch Hashem, got some nice media shout-outs a couple weeks ago with the My Orthodox Life campaign. Uh, So if you are here because of that media coverage, we are thrilled to have you. Absolutely. Before we get started on the heart of this episode, which is Shadachem, I do want to just take this opportunity to talk a little bit about some of the takeaways from the social media campaign that... I feel very grateful to have been able to get off the ground and thank you to every single woman who took that invitation to share their own Orthodox life stories. This could not have happened without all of you. And this is exactly what we wanted to do. I want to talk about just the strength of all of these from women. I mean, I think a lot of people, whether they felt triggered in response to this show on Netflix, My Unorthodox Life, or, you know, read articles and read quotes from the show, and they're like, wait a minute. Yes, this may be your story, Miss Julia Hart, but you're doing more than just sharing your story. You're saying this is a story of all Orthodox women. And that was really like unnerving and people were outraged by that. So the, the power, I, I guess one of like the main takeaway, and Rifki, you tell me, you know, if, if as a participant, cause I know you were in this, mm-hmm. it's just the, you know, like the strength of firm woman and standing up for themselves. It's such a beautiful way for us to say that we all have our own stories and to say, let's all tell our own stories, whatever package they may come in. It's like to say, no, I have a voice and I want to use it. And something that I really found very profound about this is that like, usually there is a certain level of, of, you know, privacy that we have as, as from women. We, we don't usually get up and shout about like the details of our life for, for many reasons. A lot of times, maybe we're just too busy. Something that I found so moving was that so many women came out of their own comfort zone to say, no, this really doesn't represent me. I had women who were messaging me and saying like, okay, I've never shared anything like this before. I've never done anything like this before. This is out of my comfort zone. Like people who don't even have a picture of themselves on their account because they just don't feel like it. But they were coming out of their comfort zone to say, no, this really doesn't represent me. And it was really a beautiful outpouring of love for their life, even their you know imperfect lives with all of the things that maybe didn't go the way they wanted to. You know, They were still saying, no, I love this and I'm going to stand up for it. Mm. And I, what you said, the fact that women are not just standing up and saying, we're poster girls for From Kite, you know, we're, we're sharing our nuanced stories. We're sharing the things that we struggle with. Mm-hmm. We're sharing the challenging parts of our lives as Orthodox women, whether 
there was, um, you know, difficulties and family relationships or even things that maybe they struggle with as an Orthodox Jew, but we're not throwing out the baby with the bathwater. We are still proud. We are still here. I think that's a really, really important piece of this campaign that I think evolved, you know, like as all the posts were coming through. And I appreciate that. Another takeaway is that our stories can't tell everyone else's stories. Our stories can't, can, my story can't contain your story. Wait, and if you, you have a story you to share, yeah. You said that exactly in your post, Alex. You said, this is just my story. Mm-hmm. And you encourage people to tell their own stories because everyone's story is so unique. And I feel like that's mm-hmm. the point that maybe got a little bit lost in the shuffle yeah. is that everyone's story really is unique. We're not saying this is the only story. We're saying everyone has an only story. We should tell all of the stories. Exactly. And that's where there was a bit of backlash. I say, I say about this campaign is it just like put a mirror up to all of our relationships with Judaism mm-hmm. and we've been relationships with Hashem relationships with orthodoxy whatever you want to call it that is inherently triggering and I think we all got that opportunity to look at these things up close and have these conversations there was some wonderful exchanges you know trying to have some dialogue is very important absolutely um, we should have continued sensitivity to those off the dara, those OTD stories I just I just want to say it's very important when looking at the show as a response, women weren't just standing up for, oh, but I'm happy as being an Orthodox Jew. They're standing up for Orthodoxy as, as Judaism, because mm-hmm. there were so many, you know, and this is another episode and we're, we're done with it. We're done now. We're done. <laughs> so done. Like beyond, like beyond yeah, this, done. Please. Exactly. Can we this be done? <laughs> yes. This is our um, closure, right? Our farewell to the topic. topic. <laughs> yes. I'm normal from women. Um, the experience showed me that, that women wanted to stand up for themselves as Orthodox women and wanted to stand up for Yiddishkeit because the show it is so important to remember the show isn't just saying I was pained in the system and this is what, you know, this is a story of one person's journey off the dera. The show makes pain, makes an effort to demonize Orthodox women and to generalize and categorize Orthodox women. The statements that are made that she makes is not I found blah, blah, blah. Orthodox women are, they get married at 18. They are baby machines. They are uneducated. Orthodox women can't X, Y, Z. That is not right. And that is what people were standing up for. And I, 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 no one should back down for that. That is very, very important that that, that is clearly articulated. Absolutely. And I think that some of the pushback about how, like, you know, if we're standing up for all the things that are beautiful about Orthodox society, that doesn't negate the need to still work for the things that could be improved. Like, it's not it's not an either or. It's not like a zero-sum game, you know. And something else that I really found from the whole experience was that, you know, I feel like it was just like a cycle of everyone getting triggered by each other for a while. And and when I would see some posts that were like a response to the kind of post that I did, and it was, you know, a lot of really strong feelings. I would just sit with those feelings and say, why am I feeling this way? Like what specifically is causing me to have this feeling? Because I feel like when we can all, for myself, whatever, I'm talking to myself, when I can introspect and say, why is this making me feel uncomfortable? What specifically about it is it? It helps a lot of insight. And I feel like it helps be able to relate to people and to have dialogue because, you know, dialogue doesn't exist when we're just trying to prove how right we are about something. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the way to do that is like put the phone away in the sense and just sort of process the responses versus that immediate, oh, I need to respond to this right away. Yes. You know? Yeah. You basically never need to respond right away. Like that's my, that's my general shita for social media. If you feel like you need to respond right away, you should probably not. Okay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
Okay, so Alex, where does this episode come in? Good question. Um, and for those of you who couldn't care less about my unorthodox life, we apologize. <laughs> but you should just know this was like, seriously, a major Kiddush Hashem movement. Baruch Hashem, I, I think it accomplished many wonderful things in strengthening from women who needed this space to stand up and remind themselves and affirm why they are proud to be Orthodox women. So yeah, yes. go, go everybody. <laughs> Where this episode comes in is that somebody reached out to me on social media who read my original post, which was this invitation for everyone to share their own stories and felt, you know, it would have been nice if you had mentioned something about singles. Because again, we're, we're, there's a lot of conversation here. It's like, well, what are things in the Orthodox world that do need to be fixed? Mm-hmm. And my response to her was, you know, that's not my story. You, you share your story. Nonetheless, it really reminded me, and there were many beautiful posts from, from single women about their stories in orthodoxy being single. And that, that reminds me of the struggles that singles face in our very marriage, family-focused society. Shadokam has always been on our list of topics that we need to cover on Normal from Women, but we realized that now was the time to talk about it. And so the title of this episode is In Search of Normal from Men. We hope you don't take it too seriously. I love that title. All joking aside, this is such an important discussion that we decided that we want to devote two episodes to it. That's right. So today's episode, we are talking with Professor Naomi Clapper. She's the deputy chair of the Department of Psychology at Lander College. And she also maintains a private practice in the Upper West Side and really has a passion for guiding singles through Shadokham and dating. Part two, which will come out two weeks from today, we interview a Shadchan as well as someone who is considered in our circles a quote-unquote older single. We ask them all the questions we've ever wanted to know about Shadokh dating, and we can't wait to share it with you. So at the end of today's episode, we hope you will have learned as much as we did from Professor Clapper about this interplay between psychology and Shadokham, which is really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. The good and bad about the Shadokh system, which she gets into in detail, and also tons of helpful insights for anyone involved in Shadokham and anyone who cares about it, which honestly should be every single one of us. Yes. So here's our discussion with Professor Clapper. We hope you enjoy it. And Professor Clapper does offer listeners to reach out with any questions. You can email her at Naomi, N-A-O-M-I dot Clapper, that's K-L-A-P-P-E-R at Turo.edu. And we are including that email in our show notes. Rifki, tell us about what show notes are. How do you find them? Oh, yeah. So at the bottom, wherever you are listening to your podcast, you can scroll down to the very bottom of the episode. And there, there's like a whole bunch of information about our guests and email information and any links that we might include for particular episodes. So every single episode has this. You just scroll all the way down on whatever you're listening to. And it's there. And email us at Normal From Women. If you can't find it or whatever, and you're like, help, just email us. We'll help you. So welcome to Professor Naomi Clapper who's here today with us from Teaneck, New Jersey. We are really honored to have you. We're gonna be jumping right in. You yourself had told us that you have been a scholar at residence in addition to all of your other roles, but a scholar in residence that shows around the country really focusing on with your passion to address Shadokham in our communities and particularly the role of anxiety and the Shadokh crisis, which we're gonna talk about. And we're really, really interested to hear your perspective as a clinician on not just the situation, the scene that are facing our singles and facing our community, but the, the psychological ramifications of it. So number one, if you could please tell us how you got interested in the topic of Shadokham and how that interfaces with your role as a psychotherapist. 
Hey, great. Thank you, Crystal. Thank you so much for having me. This definitely is a passion of mine. I want to tell you that I feel like over the past 35 years, I've really, you know, helped people struggle individually and as a community with dating and relationships. It's a universal issue. It's, you know, in my practice, I see every segment of society. I see not Jewish and secular all the way to yeshivish and Hasidish. I, I even, I don't know how, but I Gone on some Rebbe lists. Maybe they're thinking I'm another Naomi Clapper from Borough <laughs> Park. <laughs> me. I really don't know how that happened. But dating is a struggle for every community. What the issue is differs per, for each person. You know, sometimes it's a struggle of trust, a struggle to commit. Um, sometimes it's it's more universal. The imbalance um, of the ratio of marriage-minded women to marriage-minded men, which could almost be its own podcast. And then, like you said, a lot of anxiety, a tremendous amount of anxiety. I do feel that uh, there's so many reasons for the anxiety. You know, there's so many reasons that we could do something about as an individual, as a community, as a parent. Um, and, you know, I hope you get a chance to talk about some of them. But, there, you know, the people who are dating and trying to find their partner are very often doing this at the same time that they're navigating a lot of other life choices. They're trying to very often either um, pick a career, pick a major, establish their career, and also figure out for themselves their adult identity. What kind of community do I want to affiliate with? Not my parents, but for myself. You know, do I want to live in Israel? Do I want to live in America? And um, trying to get into graduate school, trying to figure out if they really wanted to be here. You know, every first year medical student, every first year law student, sort of every day walks around to going to class thinking, I think I've made a mistake. I really don't think I like this. This is not what I signed up for. So they're trying to grapple with all of that, really trying to individuate to a certain extent from their family and figure out what they want, what Eric Erickson, the father of developmental psychology, calls establishing your adult identity. And at the same time, they're finding their life partner. And sometimes they also feel that it's one thing to think you want to do something, like to think you want to be this religious, to think you want to marry a guy in learning, to think you want to live in Israel or in America, but it's another thing to marry because then you're sealing your values. They feel like it's becoming like a pact. Even though you know you both are married, you realize you need to have flexibility. Like a bridge, you read that it's inflexible. I'm sure you've all driven over bridges to get home or to get over the GW on a scary, windy night. It's moving, but it's moving so it doesn't snap. So relationships have to have a little bit of that movement, that flexibility, but they feel like it's being sealed. So that raises their anxiety. It's a lot going on at the same time. And, you know, as I just when we were chatting before, mentioned when people are anxious about dating and it, and it triggers a lot of other issues about self-esteem, about rejection, about pleasing, wanting to please their parents, but also what their own voice is. When we have anxiety, we become more black and white thinkers, right? We become really, we, uh, we see things in very absolute terms. And unfortunately, society that we're living in does a little bit also tend to put things into boxes, make people feel judged by external things. Mm -hmm. So it becomes even more absolute. And when we get very anxious, it's an interesting emotional experience. 
you know, our body has cortisol and adrenaline when we're anxious, right? It's part of fight or flight. And it's great for fighting, for running. Mothers, you hear these stories, they can pick up a car. These mothers who can't even do two pounds at the gym, they're like lifting a car off of their child, God forbid, because of the adrenaline. It's terrific. But what people don't realize is that they're, they're dating, they're looking to make a decision with their head and their heart. But our body cannot produce the hormones that make us feel attraction and love at the same time that it's producing hormones to make us really, you know, fight or flight in an effective manner. We cannot concentrate and do well and make good decisions and, and logical solutions. There's even cases of people who study for the LSATs or the MCATs, they get perfect scores every time and then they sit down at the actual test and they bomb it. Because mm. all this adrenaline and cortisol from anxiety is great for running, for fighting, but not good for problem solving, not good for effective thinking. Um, and de definitely it's like a big bucket of water that washes out the hormones that make us feel attracted, makes us feel chemistry. You know, oxytocin is the most famous. It's the cuddle hormone. It's the one everyone's heard of. Like most hormones don't have a nickname, <laughs> but there's lots of hormones that go into attraction and chemistry, what we want to feel, you know, dopamine, serotonin. And we have this interesting shutoff valve, emergency shutoff valve. And that's a good thing because we don't really want to be attracted to someone who's super dangerous. But in general, I think that people don't realize that when we have a lot of anxiety and black and white thinking, it reduces our ability to really feel. So a lot of people, I've even had people on their wedding day patients call me and say, this is a mistake. I don't feel anything. Mm. And I'm like, where are you? I'm coming over. Because it just washes out their ability. to. And this is the one decision, right, that we're making with our head and our heart. Right. Maybe mm. your jobs. Maybe your job. So most people don't say, well, I'm in this accounting firm. I'm going to switch to this accounting firm because my heart is telling me I love it. Right. It's we're not listening to our heart usually in decisions. And here we want our head and our heart involved. But the anxiety gets in the way. So, Professor Clapper, I feel like if I understand correctly, you're saying that when the anxiety component is high, when we're really flooded with these um, anxiety hormones, it could be that uh, anyone who's dating and has this anxiety could almost feel like any person that they're dating feels dangerous to them, which then of course would make it almost impossible to really make yes. a decision one way or the other if they're the right person. So there's a term in psychology called uh, relationship OCD. And what relationship OCD I know in psychology, there's a term for everything we already know. That's, you know, it's like the, call it psychobabble, you know, for everything we already know, but there's a term for it. Um, but what it really is, is that when we feel very anxious and we become more calamitizing in our thinking, then we start to look at the things because no one's perfect, right? Everyone's got their issues. I always say everyone's at seven out of 10, right? No, everyone's coming with baggage. It's true. Some people have those cute little handbags. Some people have like steamer trunks. Remember, in, you know, Louis Vuitton used to make those big boxes, steamer trunks, but everyone's got their baggage. And when we get anxious, we become very calamitizing. And we look at that instead of saying, how can I support my partner in this? How can I learn to overcome this with them? Um, these inevitable differences that we all have, we start to think like, this is gonna make us miserable. We're gonna fight about it. We're gonna get divorced. We're gonna resent each other. It's very calamitizing. When we can reduce the anxiety 
we find that people are able to think less black and white in a more nuanced way and develop this feeling of self-efficacy. Like I can figure out or we can figure out together how to overcome these inevitable issues, you know, about 70% of issues that couples who are happily married find they're fighting about or having trouble with are things they have to learn to live with. They're not things they can compromise with. They're things that they really have to figure out. Their avoda is how do we learn to live with your, you know, predisposition to, and you fill in the blank, anxiety, a a medical issue, challenging in-law parent. Don't worry, I'm not planning to throw in-laws under the bus. I am an in-law. And I think that there's so much that can be taught young people. And when I'm asked to speak um, to a college age group, right? So, because I've spoken at YU and at Lander, of course, and other college groups for YU Connects several times. I always joke that really it should be a major, right? There should be, or at least a minor, you know, there should be a course on dating smart. I wrote an article for Asia about dating smart. I got a lot of emails, tremendously triggering, you know, how to tell the real person behind the beautiful blow-dried hair and the nice outfit. And that's the guys I'm describing, by the way, like the dating smart, you know, it could be a, it could be a course on just, um, you know, Shana Rishana, a course on getting along with in-laws who are so different than your family. You know, these, there's a lot of tools. So too in dating, there's a lot of tools that can be taught and, and, and help young people navigate the anxiety that they're feeling. Mm. I'm going to go back to something I said in the beginning. I never thought of this, how a typical, you know, 20 year old girl, let's say, 21 year old is in the middle of, you know, finishing up her degrees and building her career, identifying and figuring out her religious identity and and figuring out who she wants to marry. Does that perfect storm, I mean, I never thought about it. It sounds like it's a real challenge. Does that, can that contribute to, you know, some of the divorce rates that we're seeing now? It's just, it's very, very overwhelming and people are quote unquote making mistakes. So it's an interesting thing. I do, I'm going to touch upon the divorce rate. I am because I think it is a a concern. There are many, and it really could be honestly its own discussion because there's many contributing factors to that. I think the anxiety that parents are feeling because of all the messaging that they're getting, that there's a shortage, there's a shortage, people get left behind, has caused them to put a lot of pressure on the kids. And the parents literally, especially of the young women, are meeting them when they come back from seminary as the the plane wheels are touching down in the LL terminal. They're there with their resumes in hand to discuss this on the way home. And the kids themselves like just get pulled into that anxiety, that messaging. So it's really almost like a trickle down anxiety. And I think that in the yeshivish world and in the Hasidish world, there was a lot of support set up for young couples getting married. There's a lot of expectation of Shana Rishana guidance. The Rebbeim take that role. The mothers take that role. There's a lot older siblings. There's a lot more hand-holding at the beginning in the first month, the first year. There's much more involvement. And I think in the, the YU and more modern circles, the pressures have trickled in and you see many more young people in the more modern schools getting married, even at Turo, I've been at Turo teaching and sharing the department since 2001. Usually it was the seniors getting married. 
And now we have a lot of people in, coming into college married, you know, wow, babies wow. a lot. And that's, wow. so not all of them know really for themselves what they want. They, they haven't been able to separate out what they want and what they can handle. Mm-hmm. And we, we can talk later if you want about the rules of parents and what they can do to help this. I have a friend who's a divorce lawyer in Brooklyn and he called me out of the blue one day. It's a secular guy. And he said, what is going on? So, you know, when a lawyer asks that, I never like answer right away. (laughs) (laughs) Very careful what I answer. What do you mean by that? Can you clarify? Mm. He's like, I have so many young religious Orthodox couples pregnant with a baby Mm. getting divorced in my, I'm in in court here. Like Mm. I've never seen anything like this as I've seen in the last five years. So, you know, there's, you know, there is a space for divorce. Obviously, there is important, you know, it's in our, it is in our Torah for a reason that sometimes it's, it's important. But I feel like we want to set up them, people to have the tools they need and the strength and the maturity. I guess that's the operative word here. Really the maturity to just be able to start off on the right foot in. And certainly the anxiety mm-hmm. parents are feeling and pushing them down uh, is trickling down. And it is a very pivotal decision. I tell young people all the time, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was certainly a high achieving woman, right? She was, you know, Jewish and the first woman on the Supreme Court. And she was a very, you know, when we want to talk about achievers, she's definitely up there. And she was, you know, is quoted many times for saying you could have it all but you can't have it all at once. This mm-hmm. idea of pace yourself, pace yourself. Even she, when she has one daughter, she doesn't have six or eight children like some of my patients. She has one daughter, but when she was a, a young mother, she wasn't working in a, a firm as an associate 80 hours a week. She was teaching. She was an academic. She was teaching at Rutgers, you know, mm. which is more of a 12-hour week job. So this idea that we are being pressured, you know, these people are being pressured, they're absorbing all the expectation on every front. My grandmother baked challah, I want to break challah. My mother and my seminary and my friends all told me to support a guy in learning. So I want to support a guy in learning. But on the same time, I have a lot of internal pressure to look a certain way, to have a career, to earn enough money, also to be a mother, also to be home for my kids. There's a, you know, these, it creates an anxiety just from all these very conflicting expectations that they've internalized. You know, I spent a lot of time telling my young men and women, this is 2021. You do not have the same hours and the same, you know, pressures that your parents had. You, you know, your mother was not a first year resident and you're beating yourself up that your kids are not going to the library. Like just, you can have it all, but you can't have it all at once. Professor Clapper, this is all so incredibly fascinating. I want to take a look at the shidduch system itself for a minute. You know, sure. it's, a, it's a relatively unique system we have, but it's also, as we have said, pressurizing. So yes. what, are, what are some things that are healthy about the shidduch system? And what are some things that are unhealthy and could really use some improvement? Okay, so we'll start with the positive. I always like to start with the positive anyway. So I'm glad that you phrased it like that. What is healthy? I find that my secular community that I work with as a therapist really don't have the same support system. You know, if they want to meet marriage-minded people, there's really no 
access for them. They can go on, put on Tinder or on Hinge that they're looking for a serious relationship, but, you know, as opposed to a hookup, but what does that even mean? And how can we evaluate that? There's no thermometer that we can measure, you know, 98%, 98 98.6% serious, you know, a little bit avoidant. Um, so there's really, there's, mm-hmm. so they are really at a loss on how to meet serious-minded people. Um, they find the one downside, there's been so many wonderful things about the Me Too movement. It's been, you know, long overdue and so important, but they feel that they did used to meet people at work. And now there's a very big fear factor and even policies in place where they can't meet people at work. Mm-hmm. And that's become the, mm. people were like it's messy. We're not really on the same it's lateral, you know, level at work. I don't want to get in trouble, you know. So I, I, you know, that's one unfortunate, you know. Obviously, it's so important that movement, but that is something they've experienced and shared. The shidduch community does have this support system. They have a lot of well-meaning. Um, albeit maybe untrained professionals, shidduchim, you know, shadchanim, trying to help introduce people and set people up. And that is is wonderful. I think there's also a feeling that rabbis um, and community leaders are giving guidance and advice, sometimes great, sometimes less ideal, but like really good advice that helps support them. I've really had young men come to me and say, I was speaking to Merva Shishiva and he said I should come and speak to a therapist and not be afraid to take medicine um, because not be afraid they'll stay to medicine. They'll say like, he said, don't be afraid if she wants to give you Zoloft. I'll say, did he write you a prescription? (laughs) Haven't even met yet and it's already packaged. But like to kind of take away that stigma. And I think that's a very good thing. There's a lot of like community support um, to try and set people up and introduce people and even give them guidance. For example, I've spoken a few times for why you connect just as an example, and they have a form of therapists that, that meet and give the connectors advice and speak in groups to the to the people who are dating and they'll send people that they think might have avoidant issues, trust issues, fear, anxiety, to help untangle that anxiety to they even try and match what some of the concerns are with the therapist that they know, like to help examine those fears and untangle them, conquer them. So I think in a lot of ways, the firmer community has for all its flaws, no system is perfect a lot more support than my secular community. They're really floundering in how to meet. They have, a, they have, we make fun of those checking out, you know, bios and we could talk when we talk about the flaws, the bad things and what needs improvement. But at least there, you know, a lot of people are traceable, right? When you meet someone online, think about it for a minute, the secular and not Jewish community that I work with. They meet people online, they don't even have a last name. Wow. They have gone out with people and found out that they were pedophiles, that they had been in prison, like really traumatizing experiences. So these dossiers that I always joke that the Mossad would envy, you know, they've got <laughs> fingerprints, they've got mug shots, right? For all their flaws, they, they make people accountable and traceable. Because, you know, you have a piece of paper, I, I have access to your Rosh Hashiva, mm. I have their phone number, there's a certain accountability. 
it's important to see this in com- comparison to how dating works in the secular world. I think, Absolutely. you know, we bemoan yeah. and, and we're going to move on next to what you see needs improvement. And that's a healthy thing too. But let's not, let's remember that this is a very important piece. We try our best to research people and we have that availability where in the secular world, you may not be able to do that. Right. Absolutely. And absolutely. And there's, you know, my brother is a Rosh Hashiva at YU and he really feels like halachically it's, it's halacha, it's, it's knevastas to not be honest, diplomatic, but honest. Um, if you know that there's really, you know, very dangerous red flags, if the person, you know, didn't give a get for 10 years, that that's an important thing to share. And, um, I do feel that, you know, we do have this feeling of like a source of strength, and support. So like any family, when we're in the family, we see all its flaws. Mm-hmm. But when we're, you know, outside and we look at people who don't have that family, we see, oh, you know, they don't have also the strength and the support. And that's very important. And now on to what needs improvement. So first <laughs> of all, going back to those dossiers that I mentioned, again, those dossiers have a lot of data. data. Do you mean a shut up resume? Because a we're not resume. professors. So. Right. Okay. I'm like okay. putting okay. a little tongue in cheek that I call it a dossier. Because really the could train with some of these mothers when they find out <laughs> It's just unbelievable. Um, but so they are just, could run recognizance for a country. But mm. these um, shidduch resumes or shidduch profiles, I like to call them. I don't like the word resume, mm-hmm. really. They tend to put kids into a box. And kids themselves, I have to tell you, because I've been working with the college community, I've been teaching and running the clinical counseling services of a college. And before I was at Turo, I was at Stern NYU. So I've really been teaching in the college level and the firm community for 39 years. So the, the, the pressures that they get is they really feel very evaluated and very judged for external things and very often for things that will change. So if a boy comes and he went to KBY, for example, and he wants to be a graphic designer, there is no box for KBY boy learned two years and went to, you know, YU Smicha program who's going to be an artist. And they could be a star and they feel like whatever is sticking out of the box, they have to cut off, right? I've run into students at a movie that was a totally clean Disney movie, which is about as scary as I can handle now. Mm-hmm. And they <laughs> and they mm-hmm. will come over and say, please don't tell anyone you saw me here. Like they just feel very judged. Um, and, and that's not a healthy thing. I was once speaking for Why You Connects a long time ago and I asked the young men and women there to just please tell me honestly what they're looking for. And, you know, one person said me dot. And I said, you know, I set people up all the time. That is usually not the first thing. Certainly the guys ask. So the guy was honest. He said, looks. And everyone laughed. And I wrote it down. And I had like a whiteboard. I wrote it down. I said, okay, looks. You ask about appearance. Look, you know, it's important. Uh, we want to be attracted. What's the second thing? And someone said what their life plans are. Are they learners? Are they earners? Do they want to be a brain surgeon if the woman could, if she can afford it, which is a big if nowadays, does she want to stay home and just be a homemaker? Like what their life plans are. And then the next thing they asked is, 
you know, of this list. And there were like 400 people in the room. There was a very, I know that only because the seating on the fire code was 375 and that's what they set up for. And there were people standing. And the third thing that they asked, people volunteered was religiosity, how from they are. So I said, okay, how do we measure religiosity, spirituality? Do we have one of those, again, thermometers that like, you know, 97% spiritual 3% Lush and Hara machine, like what, how are we measuring this? So they talk about their camps and how they dress and where they learn if they're Kovei team, you know, all these things that other people are looking at. And then I say, okay, there's about 400 people in this room, whether your parents are together or divorced, whether your parents speak to each other or don't speak to each other, raise your hands if your parents are exactly the same in looks, I started, I went down the list as when they first got married, right? Your parents are at least 25 years older based on, unless there's, you know, a story to tell here, you know, based on this, you know, your age and they laugh. No one raises their hand, which Rifki Alex between you and me is very good. Cause you know, I don't really look the same as I looked in my wedding album. It's right here. I can pull it out and show you. The second thing they ask is, uh, you know, they, they told me they look for his life plans. I say, okay, Raise your hand if your parents are in the same careers that they were when they got married. And to their surprise, most of the kids did not raise their hand, except since our husbands are physicians, the doctor's kids, because by the time they begin their first career, everyone's on their second career. Yes. <laughs> think about it. The social workers, you know, after many years, get tired of being caretakers. They get caretaker fatigue and they want to become lawyers and make money. The lawyers get burnt out and want to do something meaningful and become social workers. The mm-hmm. people who are clay Kodesh want to make money and go into real right. estate. You know, we know so many stories about that. The people who are in finance get burnt out and go learn like they retire early. There's so many people changing their life stories. I said, and the third thing, spirituality, which I think won't change. And I say to them, okay, spirituality, you know, how many people's parents are religiously, however you judge that, exactly the same way they were. To their surprise, maybe 2% of the crowd raises their hand. You know, the people get inspired, people get disillusioned. There are beautiful people in our community doing inspirational speaking that used to be secular. They go and they show the community that these things change. So I said, look, it's a starting point. We have to start. But you have to realize that we need to also focus on what doesn't change in our community, what doesn't change, you know, temperament, are they optimistic, are they pessimistic, are they dreamers, are they practical, you know, people can go through the Holocaust and become cup half full. Right. Mm-hmm. Look at Edith Eger, who wrote The Choice, mm-hmm. as an example. And people can grow up in a bubble wrap of a life, never a big problem, who are constantly complaining. Right. So um, intelligence doesn't change. You know, there's so many things that don't change um, to focus on that and um, to remember to have that, like I said before, that flexibility, like a bridge that is flexible. It won't snap in a storm even though it's scary to drive over it in a storm because you're you're moving around, a relationship has to have flexibility. Um, So going back to what needs improvement to your question, I find that people really look at these resumes and the the hashkafa and the looks, and they think that this is where, this is what exactly how they're going to decide. And there's no flexibility. And later on, and they only want this age range and this hashkafa range. So teaching the kids 
and the parents to try and go way beyond in these boxes and look at the real people. When you meet someone organically, you, you meet their persona and you meet their personality, you meet their sense of humor, you meet their intelligence, you meet if they're good listeners or if they're rigid. If you're having a conversation, I always say look for how people don't agree with you. Don't agree on a date. Look for how people disagree with you. If they disagree respectfully. My point is that you have to know the person behind that. And the, the, they get very focused on the small things and they pressure the kids to feel very evaluated on things like how they dress and if their knees are covered and they don't see the whole gestalt. And you're also saying something important that we need to go back to focusing on Midos. Am I, am 100%. I correct? 100%. And, you know, Midos are very hard to evaluate. The truth is Midos really are hard, even when you're dating. And when I speak to my students and when I speak to young singles, I talk about psychological aspects of dating and relationship. And I talk about how we can look at Midos on a date. You know, the things that go wrong on a date will tell us much more than the things that go right. Right. I'm not asking them to spill coffee accidentally on purpose. I, you know, please don't, you know, accidentally leave, you know, a little needle in their tire and let them get a flat tire. I mean, don't create problems, but look for things. Don't, you know, see how they disagree with you because you're in your marriage. You will inevitably, we all know this, disagree with your partner on something that's very important to you what school to send your child to, how to handle an aging parent situation, right? You, things that are very visceral and important to you. And who would you rather be married to? Someone who disagrees respectfully or someone who you agreed with on the date about everything and it lined up, but you saw them saying, oh, he's an idiot when they were talking about someone who didn't vote for who they voted for. Okay, so tell us, what are your proposed solutions? Okay, so there's solutions for the young people and there's solutions, honestly, that I think parents could really help young people as well. Um, first of all, I think that people need to learn to get in touch with who they are and their own, what they want for themselves, what they can handle and try and shut out kind of the noise of the expectations and autos of their communities and the yeshivas, because every community has a bumper sticker. And this is not only in the film community. It's not only, you know, Lakewood or bust, right? Learn or bust. If you were in Chappaqua, it would be maybe make money or bust, but you know, Morgan Stanley or bust, but you would definitely have messaging. And a lot of times it's not the right match for us. And young people have a lot of anxiety because they kind of know it. They know that, that they're, they're trying to please, you know, or be that perfect girl or that perfect guy, but they really don't want five years of learning or they really don't want to support a guy and they can't handle it. And really, I think that, that being able to zero in and know what you want will save a lot of anxiety because as they get closer to commitment, a lot of times the anxiety is from the source of everyone thinks he's great for me. Everyone thinks he's perfect. And you know, he or she is from her, so they'll keep me on track. But they really, they feel like they're biting off more than they can chew in certain areas. So I, I think that's a very important thing. Um, parents can be the greatest source of support, but they can also do a lot of damage because they project very often what they want onto their younger kids. They live vicariously. And, you know, if they struggled with money, they won't let someone consider someone who's in a perfectly acceptable profession teaching social work, 
you know, they, they, they add their own internal anxiety of a young person. You know, there's been the same ratio of men to women for decades. It's not like people are suddenly having only women children, right? There's been the same issue, but the panic about it is, is created a dramatic reaction to children. I unfortunately working with older singles, people in their 40s, I have to share with you, and it saddens me that a lot of times they did fall in love in, in college or in their 20s, and they fell in love well. They, they were fell in love with a mensch, like a good person who would have met a, made a good wife, a good husband. But their parents said, Mm. He's not firm enough for us. He won't fit into the family or he's not yeshivish or he's not going to earn enough money. And that child, you know, as the years went on, really had, you know, revisionist history and couldn't find someone that they could match to the, and they, of course, with each few years, that picture of that original person got rosier, right? The pedestal got wow. higher. Um, so I feel like that's an example of what parents can do is just don't, um, project your own wants, issues to really try and, you know, know your child's voice. That's very important. And another very important point is when you are dating, a selacharav with someone who is happily married and a really healthy marriage for many years. So many times single people will come in and tell me with great regret how they handled the dating situation that ended what could have been a great relationship. And I'm listening to them thinking, this is a very intelligent person. This is a professional, well-educated. What made them think to handle it like this? This is, you know, if I, I couldn't create a worse way to handle this. And I ask them, you know, who, why did you handle it like this? Nine out of 10 times, they'll say, my friends, my friend group advised me to do this. Right. And it's shocking to me because we know to get experts opinions for everything, right? You wouldn't be doing your accounting for taxes and say, is this mole cancerous? <laughs> you know, I don't have time to go to the dermatologist. Can you just take a look at it? When it comes to dating, what do we do? We ask our other single friends, right? So it's really the same thing as asking investment advice from someone who's broke. They, uh, you know, you really need a selacharav, <laughs> someone who is married at least five years in a healthy marriage so they can give you advice. First of all, because unfortunately, they, this, these friends who love you dearly and consciously want the world for you, unconsciously may not want yet another friend to disappear. Mm. You know, that's a very big trigger for them, a very big loss that a lot of people have shared with me. Their friends just go into that submarine of love, submerged, out of touch, you know, dropping them. Secondly, with the single people in your community, built a community, a surrogate family. You're with them for Shabbos over and over, and they develop kind of a group think mm. where, you know, we all kind of start thinking the same. So if you bring up a guy and really maybe you could make it work. So you're not exactly the same religiously or culturally, but you could make it work. They're, oh, no, I don't see it. It's not a good idea. You won't like that. You know, that's too much of a stretch for you really gets into your head and you really have a hard time thinking independently. And also they themselves have their own PTSD of different experiences that they're projecting onto you. Maybe this guy is not abusive. Maybe he could learn to navigate his, his stress or anxiety in a way that's more productive. And you could, you know, have a wonderful relationship, but they've had a bad experience. They're projecting it on you. So to go and, and, and on the flip side, I'm 
putting out a plea to the community of people who are happily married, because we tend to like people in our, you know, stage of life. So they also feel like, oh, my single friends will think I'm boring. I don't really need, you know, I'm going to invite them for Shabbos. They'll just be jealous. I'm telling you, I work with a lot of singles. My practice is on the Upper West Side. And they're feeling the loss of those friendships. They feel dropped. And you could be doing, everyone who's listening to this who is happily married, think of who you could take the initiative with and reach out to and try and be a more guiding, evil, even-handed, level-headed thinker. You are sort of are the expert to encourage them to to untangle their issues. Not everyone needs a therapist. Sometimes they just need a wiser expert. And uh, the last thing is for parents, that parents very often, like we said before, parents can be over-involved. And that can cause a lot of trouble too. But sometimes parents take their foot off the gas. I have a lot of parents I've worked with whose kids come back from Israel firmer than them. I hear this a lot. And they say, my kids are so spiritually, they're on a different frequency. Like, you know, Israel's on 220, right? They come back from Israel, they're on 220. You know, we live in Westchester, we're on 110. Like, we don't get what they want. They don't ask advice from us. So they stop being involved, right? And I want to tell you that, yes, it's true that they're getting advice from their rabbis. But we are most influenced by the people we're closest to. So if we have a wonderful relationship with our children, we can still guide them on helping them find a good person, a kind person, a, a, a menshi person, a person who will be a great support. And p- parents think like, oh, they don't want my advice because we're so different. Just build the relationship, right? Don't lecture, don't fight. Yes, it's true that their values, what they're looking for are different than your values and your bumper sticker is different right? Your bumper sticker may be Ivy League or bust, and there is a smicha or bust, right? It could, it could be, but you still have such a resource and such a wealth of life experiences. And if you retain that relationship, you don't judge, you don't eye roll, and you don't make them feel like they're not being able to, you know, feel respected. Yes, then they will turn to their rabbis and their seminary rabbitsons. But if you retain that relationship, I find a lot of firm kids who are firmer than their parents still respect their parents' opinion and advice and evaluation of, is this person a man or a woman of character and integrity? You don't have to be the same hashkafa to be able to judge character and integrity. Professor Clapper, thank you so much. This is all such valuable information, such amazing perspectives with nuance and depth and sensitivity and really crucial information that I am sure that all of our listeners are really going to benefit from. So thank you so much for speaking with us today. I really appreciate it, Rifki and Alex. I loved being here. And if anyone has any questions, they should feel free to email me. They're welcome to email me. I really want to be found. So my email is my name, naomi.clapper at turo.edu. And they're welcome to email me follow-up questions. I've done that for other podcasts and webinars. And I really do answer. And I'm happy to clarify um, or continue this conversation. Wow. So we will put that in the show notes. Thank you so much for offering that to our listeners. My pleasure. And it was wonderful speaking to you, Alex, and to you, Rifki. I wish you lots of hatlacha. This is a wonderful voice for the community. Amen. Thank you. It really is. Wonderful opportunity for everyone to like, you know, to untangle difficult problems in this safe space.
that's how we, that's, that's our goal. So I'm, I'm so appreciate that you, that you view it that way as well. Absolutely. Now it's time for today's takeaway. Professor Clapper discussed the negative effects of anxiety and impacting our decision-making. Since once we enter that fight or flight mode, that impairs our ability to be objective. She shared how this is important to remember when dating. So our takeaway for those of you who are dating or for parents of someone who is dating is to consider Professor Clapper's advice, being more aware of how anxiety impacts decisions in the shidduch process. And of course, anxiety can get in the way of all of our decision-making, not just dating. So if you or your children are not in Shadduchim, let's think about how we can take steps to minimize our anxiety and the difficult decisions we need to make. Now it's time for five questions with a normal from woman. Today's normal from woman is Sarah Glass from Far Rockaway. If you could be any month in the Jewish year, which month would you be and why? Hands down, without a doubt, I'd be Kislev. I grew up in sunny Southern California, home of awesome beaches and very, very, very little Yiddishkeit. It was total spiritual darkness. But just as we bring light into darkness during Hanukkah, I was introduced to the light of Torah while at UCLA, and I had to make a decision. I had so much going for me on one hand, but I ultimately just couldn't connect to the secular dream. That dream that was just totally devoid of spirituality, meaning, and having a family. And yep, just like the Maccabees, I also had a battle, but my fight was between me, little Sarah, whose great-grandparents came from Panovich, and the fabulous Greek future that was in front of her. And sure enough, a total niece happened. And Baruch Hashem, 15 years later, I have three awesome kids and a career as a stockbroker. Plus, I feel whole and complete with a deep spiritual life. And that was just one of the major battles in my life. I've had many more, especially being that I've encountered lots of challenges as a working single mom, Baal's Chuva, in a relatively FFB community. What's your favorite mitzvah and why? One of my favorite, favorite mitzvahs, and this is actually something that I've been focusing on more and more over the past year, is to make Shabbos beautiful. For that one day a week, I love going all out. I love making or even buying delicious food, making challah, buying fancy things for my Shabbos table, spending extra on really good candy for the kids and myself, and definitely not forgetting the flowers, white roses. Plus, even though I'm a single mom, my kids and I love hosting other families. Plus, I noticed something really, really cool, that the more I focus on the gashmias of Shabbos, the more I can tap into the ruchnias of the day. What do you do to recharge? My recharge is a daily routine in which, before bed, I'll sit outside or by my window and I just think. I've been doing this probably since I was a little girl. I guess it gives me the ability to escape from the craziness of life. It's like the darkness turns all the static off. Nowadays, more often than not, I find myself just talking to Hashem during this time. Or I put on a meditation app just to recenter myself. What do you love about yourself? As I mentioned earlier, I'm a California girl at heart. 
and I have a relatively laid-back personality. But the part of my personality I love the most is that actually I can get pretty goofy at times, and I love, love, love to laugh and joke around. And I can even get a bit immature as well, which my kids love. I live in a New York semi-in-town community where people tend to be more on the serious and intense side. So I guess you can say that I stand out a bit, which is fun because I like being unique. What do you think the firm world needs more of? I definitely wish there were more biographies about firm women. I love biographies because I love inspiration and reading about how someone puts their religiosity and individuality into practice, whether it's Rev Shimshim Pingus or the Ribnitzer Rebbe. But don't get me wrong, I can read about Godolim and Rabbanim all day long. But I just wish I could read about their wives and mothers and the sacrifices they made to raise a Torah family and even support their husbands or sons in their Torah learning. Or even holy women that grew tremendously in their Avodah Hashem. So I guess if there's any writers out there, you have my request. Or hey, how about some stories about normal from women? Thanks for joining us today. We want to remind you about all our additional content on our Instagram and Facebook accounts, quotes with our guests and their pictures, including our normal from women, giveaways, and more. And we're also rolling out a new feature, normal from women speak. You'll find a video for each episode from some phenomenally inspiring from women about the topic of each episode. So check it out. And mazel tov to us. We've, we've reached the 10,000 downloads milestone. Can't, Can't believe, believe it. it. <laughs> we are so grateful for each and every one of you for creating this community of normal for women. And in honor of this milestone, you guessed it. Please rate and review our podcast. Ricky and I would so appreciate it. See you next episode. <laughs>